welcome to this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. I'm Nate Todd, and this installment features an interview with renowned guitarist David Bromberg. David recently spoke to Jam Bass's Scott Bernstein about his upcoming final concert in New York City and much more. We'll get to that interview in a moment, right after hearing about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Section 119. Section 119 is the clothing and apparel company that specializes in licensed merchandise for the Grateful Dead, Fish, and other bands. Products include shirts, hoodies, shorts, and accessories featuring distinctive logos and artwork. Section 119's mission is to provide fans with high-quality, stylish apparel that celebrates their favorite bands. Made by fans for fans. Shop officially licensed Grateful Dead and Fishman donut apparel, including button-downs, board shorts, ties, bow ties, pocket squares, ponchos, suits, and other gear. Section 119 also offers officially licensed merchandise for fans of Pink Floyd, The Beatles, Jerry Garcia, and David Bowie. Section 119 is constantly updating with new offerings for men and women. Be sure to explore the brand new line of Grateful Dead women's wear. Visit Section 119 at section119.com. That's S-E-C-T-I-O-N 119.com. And sign up to receive 10% off your first purchase. All right. Joining me now is Scott Bernstein. How's it going, Scotty? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How about you, Nate? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, so as I mentioned, you recently interviewed David Bromberg, who has an, uh, an impressive resume. For those listening who may not know, uh, could you tell us a little bit about David's more than 50 years in music? David has one of the most impressive resumes in the history of folk and rock music, and that's not even overstating it. The extremely talented multi-instrumentalist started in the mid-60s Greenwich Village scene, honing his chops back in the likes of Richie Havens, Jerry Jeff Walker, Tom Rush, and Emmy Lou Harris. He became friends with and forged a working relationship with Bob Dylan and went on to launch a solo career by putting out a string of amazing albums throughout the 70s. Yet he still found time during that decade to do session work with the likes of Ringo Starr, Willie Nelson, Bonnie Raitt, the Eagles, and many others. Then, after taking a lengthy sabbatical from the road and recording, he learned everything he could about violins and opened a violin shop in Wilmington, Delaware, where he still lives and where, where I connected with him. He, re- he returned to the studio for 2006's Try Me One More Time and re- has released more fantastic albums since and has toured extensively up until the pandemic took him off the road. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing resume. Um, and there's also a, a Grateful Dead connection to uh, Bromberg too, right? That's right. Both Bromberg and Bob Weir were heavily influenced by and took lessons from the Reverend Gary Davis. Bobby based Samson and Delilah on Davis's arrangement of the biblical tale. Bromberg also met and hung with Jerry Garcia at Woodstock in 1969 and called upon Garcia and other members of the Grateful Dead to contribute to two of his early solo albums. Yeah, yeah. One of, one of my favorites from that era is uh, Sharon off uh, Demon in Disguise, uh, which is also a fan favorite in the Widespread Panic cover catalog. That's really cool. He had those ties to Dylan and the Dead. Definitely. And I mentioned the members of the dead played on two of David's albums, right? Which came after Dylan and George Harrison contributed to the to David Bromberg's self-titled 1972 album. I also brought up Panic and, and Bromberg's relationship w- w- with with widespread dur- during our chat. 
Uh, that's just an incredible legacy. Um, so we've been discussing David Bromberg's past, but, but he also has an important show coming up at the Beacon Theater in New York City on June 10th. What makes that show a special one, Scotty? He's returning to the city where it all started for him to play his final big band show in New York City. Wilco's Jeff Tweedy is one of the special guests, and Bromberg also reveals another iconic musician who will participate. David previewed what fans can expect, and he weighed in on the songs he'll play and explained why the time is right for him to stop touring. Sounds like that will be a memorable night of music in NYC. It sure does, and tickets are available for anyone out there listening who's interested in going to the show. Visit Jambase to find links to purchase tickets to the concert at The Beacon on June 10th. Before we get into my chat with David Bromberg, a note that there was a small audio glitch that starts about nine minutes into the segment. We were able to correct it, so it only lasts about a minute. Apologies for the quality in that spot, but we decided it was important to keep the entirety of the conversation. Now let's get into the interview, which we'll lead into with a bit of his song, The New Lee Highway Blues. All through northern Oregon Always at my side Sleeping in those narrow beds And then we'd ride Drinking in those dirty bars Keeping out of sight Sleeping in that cold back seat and then we'd ride You know that goddamn road seemed like it went forever Exhaust fumes made our eyes turn red and swell With our clothes stuck to the seat and to our bodies It was a stinking summer trip through southern hell Well, I'm so proud and excited to welcome legendary musician David Bromberg to the Jam Bass Podcast. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. And you? I'm doing excellent. Very excited for for this chat. Um, I I first want to talk about the the last big band show in in New York City, which is coming to the Beacon Theater on, on Saturday, June 10th. Now, is this the last... Big band show, the last big band show in New York, or your final public performance? Okay. Uh, I don't think it's my final public performance, but it's definitely the last big band show in New York and probably anywhere. I, I don't think we'll be able to put the big band together again uh, anywhere. I don't think. You know, I don't know everything, and you never say never. So, but I'm I'm skeptical that we'll be able to do that. Uh, we've been asked to do some uh, some gigs uh, here and there, um, and um, I won't go on tour again. If it, if it's one or two nights, and then we get them uh, the rest of the month off, those we might then that, that's different. That that might be okay. And why why now is is it because touring is is, is has become such a hardship? 
Well, touring is tough, and and I'm 78, and uh, you know, I just I'm just tired of it. I love being with the band, but uh, man, I, I tell audiences that we don't get paid for playing. Uh, we play for free. We get paid for getting there. <laughs> uh, that, that's fair enough. Yeah. And what what are you planning to do? What 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 musically do you still plan on on writing and recording af- after the show? I don't know. I haven't been writing very prolifically, so I I just don't know. Fair enough. And you do still live in Wilmington? Uh, I still live in Wilmington. My wife and I have a tiny apartment in New York City that we go to. Uh, so we split our time between those when uh, when I'm home. When I'm not home, she mostly stays in the city. And New York City is a place that's held a special spot in your career, which I would it brings extra emphasis to to it being the last show there for the big band. Yes, New York. Uh, I was living in New York uh, when I started performing. And Jeff Tweedy has been announced as a special guest for the, for the show. Can, can you talk talk about your relationship with, with Jeff? Well, it's just starting. Um, we we were both at a, a festival in Chicago, and as as we were headed towards our our dressing rooms, which were not close together, I uh, um, I I told him who I was and, and uh, said, uh, you know, we should play together sometime and uh he said yes and that was that then we were both on uh um kayamo kayamo and uh he's, he he came off stage while i was backstage and he said david bromberg i said yeah he said listen you know i wanted to tell you when 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 you we had we had that very brief conversation in chicago he said i didn't think you knew who i was and uh, I said, I was convinced you didn't know who I was. That's why I introduced <laughs> myself. So, so far, that's where we are. Uh, I've got to talk to him a little about what he'd like to do, but I'm just so pleased that he consented to do this. It was very generous of him. And, uh, and we're, I think, I think we're going to have fun playing together. I, I would imagine so. Um, can, can do you think other guests will will be part of the action? John Hyatt will be there. Oh, terrific! Yeah, yeah. John is an old friend. Um, way back uh, in the seventies, he used to open for me, and uh, I must not have been too much of a uh, a jerk uh, because he, <laughs> he he's done a few things with me since. So, so that speaks well. And how big is the big band at this point? Can you talk about the membership of the big band? Well, this is going to be the biggest big band I've I've had. I think um, the the core of the big band is uh, my quintet, uh, which is uh, me on acoustic and electric guitars, uh, Josh Kanuski on drums, Slavik Zanyashenko on bass. Um, Nate Grower on fiddle and Mark Cosgrove on electric and acoustic guitars. That's the basic band, but there's another member of the band, actually, aside from our uh, uh, tour manager, who is a member of the band. His name is Mike Russo. 
Uh, but aside from him, there's really a sixth person who's on the stage whenever we can get him who, who will be at this concert. His name is Dan Walker, and he plays keyboards. And okay. uh, yeah, we're really, the band just loves playing with, uh, with him. And it's remarkable because with Dan, we don't need rehearsals. He knows all the material as well as all the other guys in the band. So it's really fun. Then we'll have um, uh, three horn players um, uh, and three background vocalists. How many people is that all together? That's uh, 13, I think, right? That is a big band. Yeah. Uh, or 12, 12 or 13. I, I don't know. I never really counted us. It's the biggest band I think I've had. Although I, there may have been times when I had uh, uh, the backup singers and four horns instead of three. So, And have you given any thought yet to the set list for the show? You know what I did? I, I usually don't have set lists and I, I don't like them. Um, but to keep the show going, rather than uh, having to wait which we've done a few times for the for the horn players to find the right charts because they don't travel with us. You know, um, uh, I'm going to make up a set list. So I decided to make a list, a list of uh, the tunes I really wanted to do. And I came out with 30 of those and I'm going to pare those down. And I have a pretty good idea of the um, structure of the show that uh, that I'll put together. But uh, I think it'll be fun. You've recorded so many songs and written and covers. I mean, I can't even imagine where you start when it comes to putting together a, a set list like that. Got to imagine well, there's some songs that are 100% going to be in there, like Mr. Bojangles. But, you know, I beyond, you know, some some of the ones that you're so well associated with well the first song i thought of that i wanted to do was a charlie rich tune called uh who will the next fool be okay that, that was the first one i wrote because i love singing that after you get rid of me who will the next fool be So we'll be doing that. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to try to place in the, in the set with Bojangles, or maybe as an encore. I'm just not sure. Um, and uh, uh, Sharon, uh, uh, 
you know, I, I can't call up. I don't have a list in front of me at the moment. Sure. And, you know, certainly newly Highway Blues with its line, you, you know, that goddamn road seemed like it went went forever. It just seems like it, it also would be a fitting choice. <laughs> uh, we use that for a closer. And uh, um, uh, Nate Grover, who's our fiddler, just tears the hell out of that. So So we may close with that. T- terrific. Now, going back, you 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 started in, in as as we said earlier, your your relationship w- with with New York. I, I understand you grew up in in Westchester and uh, and 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 started playing in in, in the village. Can can you tell me a little bit? I mean, I I, I am. 46 years old. Uh, I've lived in New York City for 25 years and I'm just so fascinated by what the village was was like in, in, in the late 60s. Can, can you share some, some memories of a, of, a, of a typical night for you d- down there? Oh, boy. I, I have to first uh, peg uh, the year uh, for you. Um, the what One thing I'd like to tell you before we get into all that is that uh, the motto of the village is, oh, it's not so great anymore. You should have been here uh, uh, five years ago. And that's always been what people have said. Uh, Even you know, then. Yeah. Uh, since uh, since the uh, hippies came in. I mean, really, it was, it was just a, uh, an Italian uh, segment of the city section of the city and then the hippies came in and they you know there was a little friction for a little while but after a while it was not and uh um there's still some great restaurants there uh but i haven't been down in a while uh back in the day uh when i spent the most time in the village i was performing at a basket house and i don't know if you know what the basket houses are no well, in New York, they used they had used to have a law uh, about uh, cabaret singers uh, or cabaret musicians. First of all, if you wanted live music, uh, you had to, with one exception, you had to have a cabaret license. And then the uh, musicians you hired, unless they played an instrument of eighty-eight strings or more, in other words, a piano. Sure. Uh, they had to have cabaret licenses, which required them to pay a, a, a fee and be photographed. And I can't remember if they needed to be fingerprinted, probably. Uh, anyhow, uh, the basket houses avoided all that by simply not paying the performers. So then we weren't employees. So what you would uh, your pay for the night would be whatever would someone would put in uh, in a bread basket which was passed around at the end of your 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 set interesting and i would I'd say take it some nights were better than others yes and um i had a couple of good basket pitches i was a pretty terrible performer but i had a couple of good basket pitch, uh, pitches and I'd get all kinds of stuff in there. I might get a joint. I might, <laughs> I'd get, uh, you know, maybe a little money. And uh, it was, we were all starving and we didn't care. 
Okay, yeah, so. yeah. I, I can imagine. Yeah. So who were some of the uh, folks that, that you came up with in the village scene at that time? Was Emily Lou Harris one of yes, them? Yes, Emmy. I was her guitar player when I, when she when we were in the same uh, coffee house uh, or, you know, on a given night. Uh, I loved playing with Emmy Lou and uh, I loved playing with Paul Siebel. Uh, Emmy Lou used to do a lot of Paul's tunes. And she's recorded a bunch of them. Um, and uh, Richie Havens. Uh, and I used to play with Richie when uh, Dino, who, who he taught guitar to and, and was, was his accompanist when, D, when Dino couldn't make it, then I'd, I'd play with, uh, with Richie. And, was he uh, as good a guy as, his, as he was a singer? Better. Okay. Yeah, he was a very good guy. I miss him. Let the river rock you like a cradle. Climb to the treetops, child, if you're able. Let your hands tie a knot across the table. And touch the things you cannot feel And close your fingertips And fly where I can't hold you Let the sun rain fall And let the dewy clouds enfold you And maybe you can sing to me The words I just told you all the things you feel ain't what they sing Then don't mind me Cause I ain't nothing but a dream I can imagine. Yeah, we had a lot of good times. Absolutely. And was it also in the village where you met the Reverend Gary Davis? Um, you know, strangely enough, that is true. Uh, the Reverend didn't come down to the village very much. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you two stories. Um, the way I met him was I was walking up Bleecker Street uh, and uh, about a block uh, from uh, I can't remember the names of all those streets. Anyhow, there, there, there was a place, uh, there was some kind of a club, maybe part-time basket uh, house or, or uh, uh, maybe just a bar most of the time. But there was a sandwich bar, a sandwich sign uh, on the sidewalk said Reverend Gary Davis this afternoon. Um, so I, I, there was a, an admission, and I happily paid the admission and, and sat down and listened. And, uh, I mean, he was incredible. He really was extraordinary. And everyone talks about his guitar playing, and I will too. His guitar playing was otherworldly. There's, there was nobody like him. It, it was like he just appeared with all that technique. I've never been able to find out who he began to learn from. He must have learned some from somebody because his technique was so well-developed and complex 
He was brilliant. Uh, but people don't talk about what a fabulous singer he was. He was an extraordinary singer. Um, anyhow, after the set, I, I asked him uh, if, uh, if I could take lessons from him. And uh, he said, yes, uh, $5, bring the money, honey. Uh, that, that was the rev. And um, at first, I, I used to pay him $5 for a, for a lesson that might last all day. Um, and then after a while, instead of giving him money, I would, I would lead him to, right. to where his gigs were or whatever it was, wherever he needed to go. His church. And uh, I discovered how much I loved being in, in churches. Uh, I, actually, I discovered how much I, I loved being in black churches. I, I never had quite the same feeling in white churches, but I always felt right at home in the black churches. They always made me feel at home. So, that, that, that's so, ter terrific. And go, go on. That's one story. Um, the, the other story is, the next time I saw the reverend in the village, um, one of the reverend's students uh, was Stefan Grossman. Are you familiar with Stefan? No, I'm not. Well, Stefan is one of uh, uh, the, the most, uh, he was the, the, the closest to the reverend, as far as I can see, as anybody ever got. Uh, and uh, they, were, they were very close. And... Uh, he's a great player uh, and very knowledgeable, not only about the Reverend, but about all kinds of blues guitar players and singers. Um, well, Stefan was giving a concert at the church um, on, was it Fifth Street? I'm not sure. There was a church where the uh, folks there used to give concerts. Okay. And one night. So, and that night uh, I was playing. Uh, at the gaslight, I was kind of uh, the the opening act for anybody who came to town uh, at the gaslight for a while, which was a great privilege. Um, and uh, so the Reverend went to uh, Stefan's concert, and afterwards he came to the gaslight, and I didn't know he was coming. I was really surprised to see him in the audience, and. Uh, I did one of the tunes I learned from him and dedicated one of my own to him. And then he stood up and gave a sermon, which is typical Reverend Gary Davis. And I couldn't tell you everything he said, but it started with, uh, I have no children, but I have sons. Uh, and so he, he was claiming me and Stefan, which to me was very significant. Like an idiot, I, I assumed that, uh, uh, Stefan knew, but uh, uh, decades later, I, I checked and he had no idea, uh, you know, that, that the Reverend had said anything like that. And, and you got to tell him that. Yeah. Now, now you talked about the all day lessons that, that you had with him. How much of it was actual teaching guitar and singing and how much of it was learning stories or, or about music or spirituality from him? It might have been different for, uh, uh, for other people. For me, it was lessons, and he was very patient. Um, but, uh, 
you know, I know that Stefan talked with the Reverend about everything, about his girlfriends, about school, you know, whatever a kid uh, uh, in his uh, late teens and early 20s, you know, he, 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 he would speak to the Reverend about all of that. And uh, I never had the courage to do that. Sure. Bob Weir was another guitarist who was very inspired by uh, the Reverend. Did you ever talk to Bobby about Reverend Gary Davis? No, I never had the chance. Right. Um, now, you know, perhaps uh, uh, the person today the most identified with Reverend Gary Davis is uh, Yorma uh, Kokanon. And Yorma never took lessons with the Reverend, but he is the the pro- premier performer of the Reverend's tunes. He does them and does them more than most people. He's got a larger uh, um, larger platform to to speak to people from, uh, and gets to speak to more people, and and it's wonderful. And he does those tunes really nice, very very nicely. Um, so he's, you know, and there's a lot of other people who, who like the Reverend's music, but, but, uh, um, Yorma may identifies himself with it. So he deserves a lot of credit in my, in my opinion. And you, you did a number of shows with Yorma not too long ago. Is that that correct? Oh yeah. I've done lots of them. Excellent. Um, you, I'll tell you who is the most remarkable uh, Gary Davis player. Okay. He also never took lessons with the Reverend. It's Larry Campbell. And Larry can play the uh, one of the tunes of the Reverend in a key that it, the Reverend didn't play it in and sound just like it's the Reverend. And that that's something that is very hard for me to get my head around. That's, that's real, that's real understanding of the essence, uh, you know, and, and, and what he's doing. So Larry's an incredible talent and also an incredible producer who I believe, did he produce one of your, your albums? I have produced three or four of them. Okay. Excellent. Um, you, you famously had a, a friendship and relationship and, and per, accompanied uh, Jerry Jeff Walker, who, who sadly we lost a, a couple of years ago. Did you keep in touch with him through, through his final years? Um, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, from time to time. Uh, at first it was through uh, uh, John Andrews Toad, uh, who used to be the, uh, who was the guitar player in Mother Earth, uh, okay. with Tracy Nelson. And, uh, so a lot of the times it was through Toad, um, and uh, who who lives down in Austin. So they were, you know, they were neighbors, I guess. And uh, he would call me every now and then. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I would call him every now and then, but he he probably called me more, and it was always a rewarding conversation. I, I can imagine that's a, was a huge loss for for the music world. Yeah. Um, you know, we're jam bass and we we write a lot about um jam jam bands and one of the the veteran acts in our scene is 
widespread panic and you had a um you collaborated with them they added to your use me album and you got to share the stage with them on a couple of nights how was your experience with with widespread panic oh it was fun i i enjoyed it i knew that they were doing sharon which is one of my tunes um so I had this idea to do an album where I would ask people to write a song for me and then produce me doing it. Use me. <laughs> that, that was literally the idea. Brilliant. Use me. And um, they, they were agreeable and, uh, and we had fun. There's something funky here Make a grown man shout I can see little boys Chasing after a scoop ball Back when our dreams were so big And our hands were so small Oh, we're stopping at the old neighborhood Man, just look around. Terrific, and then you you wound up uh, per- performing with with them in yeah. in Denver, uh, and I'm sure the the crowd was appreciative to to see the guy who, who wrote Sharon, which Watchbird Panic had been playing since their earliest days, uh, actually perform. The, the song with them. Yeah. Well, they didn't throw anything at me, so I figured I was okay. Right. <laughs> um, we, we've seemed to have made it through for the most part, the, the, the pandemic. Um, did, did touring change for you in the, once you were back on the road, was it different once the pandemic had hit? Well, um, at first, uh, people were a little reluctant to go out. Uh, so, so at first, we would play to some some pretty sparse houses, but after a while, that 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 disappeared. Um, and then it was just like usual, except that uh, in in the middle of one tour, I uh, I got COVID, um, so I had to cancel the rest of the dates and. Uh, I stayed in the hotel we were staying at for a week and before I finally figured out a way to get home. And uh, yeah. Was it a bad case? Uh, it was long COVID. Oh. I don't think there are good ones. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, this year marks Doc Watson's, the late Doc Watson's 100th birthday. Um, what he, he was another person that, that you, you learned from, can can you talk about meeting doc? Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember where I first met him. It might've been backstage, uh, at the, uh, at the gaslight. Um, I heard I was at his first concert in New York city. It was a friend's old time music put it on and. The opening act was uh, uh, um, Jesse Fuller um, with his Fadilla. 
singing the, the you know San Francisco Bay Blues. That's his tune. I got the blues for my baby. Other side of San Francisco Bay, you know that too. Yeah, but Yorma plays it often. Yep. And uh, so I met him there, and we we played together, and uh, I, I would get to play with him for for several years every time he came to New York, and sometimes I would lead him. And you would think that uh, I would be good since I used to lead the Reverend around, but I was terrible leading him, and I, I I've always felt bad about it. <laughs> I was a bad lead, uh, seeing eye dog I, or whatever it was I was supposed to do. Uh, but but he was he was always very nice and uh, and, a, and a lovely player. Did you learn from him? I mean, did you have a mentorship uh, relationship with him? I don't think uh, I don't think it was a, a a mentorship because he didn't he didn't teach me anything specifically. Okay. Uh, what I learned from him, him, I learned mostly from the records uh, sure. and from playing with him. Um, but that was pretty much it. Did you have a lot of experience playing with him? Yeah. Well, a fair amount. There are other people who, who used to tour with him. I didn't tour with him. If he was in New York for, for two nights, I might play with him two nights backstage. Sure. And maybe well, on stage. I don't really remember. That's a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet. Well, uh, I'm excited. I, I will be there on Saturday, June 10th at, at the Beacon Theater uh, for, for the last big band show. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to, uh, to talk, talk with me, David. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a smile to smile for the whole world to see. And then she turned her head and she... Look straight at me I must have jumped at least Six feet in the air And when I come down That girl wasn't there Oh, Sharon What do you do to these men? You know the same rowdy crowd That was here last night Is back again of this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. Thanks to David Bromberg for taking the time to chat. Tickets for David Bromberg's final big band show in New York City featuring special guests Jeff Tweedy and John Hyatt are on sale now. Visit Jam Bass to find links to purchase tickets to the concert at The Beacon on June 10th. This episode was produced by Jake Alexander. Thanks, Jake. If you're enjoying the Jam Bass Podcast, be sure to subscribe through your favorite podcast service and leave a rating. Come back next week for another fantastic episode. In the meantime, be safe out there and go see live music.